but actually what God has called all of us to is making disciples. In the Great Commission, he didn't tell us to go out and evangelize. He told us to go out and make disciples. So what does making disciples mean? Well, discipleship is simply helping someone move from unbelief to belief in every area of their life. So what does that look like in Sheffield? So in Sheffield, if you're helping run a youth club where there's a child who comes from a home with a single mum who's working all the time, dad has left, and they feel completely undervalued. They feel like they have no worth. They feel like they're not loved. If you invest in that child, if you make them feel loved, feel, make them feel worth, then you have brought about transformation. If you have a friend who comes to you and says, I'm, I'm thinking about leaving my wife, and we know that as part of God's plan, he wants to see unity in families. He doesn't want to see broken homes. Now, we don't have to preach the Bible to him, but actually if we convince him that we can make him see that actually staying with his wife is going to be the best thing for him, for his children, for his family, then we've brought about transformation. If we had a f- have a friend at university who is struggling with mental health, got issues, whatever they may be, and they're, they're hiding behind drugs or alcohol, and actually we encourage them to be open and to be vulnerable and go and seek help, we have brought about transformation. So... Some of you may be thinking, well, that's all good, but these people, they just aren't, they're, not, they're not finding their way into my lives. They're not coming into my lives. What do I do? Well, we can look to an example set in the Bible by Paul and Peter for how they went about making disciples. What they did was they went to the synagogues and uh, they preached the gospel. Now, the synagogues in those times was the center of the community. They went into the center of the community to preach truth. Now, 50, 100 years ago, churches were the centers of our community. Unfortunately, that is no longer the case. So we have two options. We either create community centers or we go into existing community centers. Um, Things like restore food banks and uh, youth clubs uh, that Forge do, those are brilliant at at creating community centers. But if you're not called to that, go into community centers. What are they? They're sports clubs, football teams, um, the students' union, all these different places we can go. Then after that, um, they created smaller, smaller groups, the church, the original church, the way, which they invited people into. This church is absolutely brilliant at doing that. We have many, many small groups, communities where we invite people in. If you don't know how to do that, there are people here who will teach you, who will show you. Get alongside people who do know how to do that, and they will learn. So, if God's plan for the church is to see transformation in our world, then what is the point of the context here today? What purpose does this serve? Well, this is a place not to just sit back and accept grace in our lives. That is so, so important. And fresh revelation of God's grace is really, really important in our lives. I mean, today, even when we were singing about that, the last song that we sing, to actually 
in my own mind, I've had fresh revelation about the grace of God, and we continually need that. But God wants more than that. He wants intimacy with us, and intimacy requires effort on our part, and we will know God's heart and God's mind. Transformation of Sheffield starts in this room. In Romans 12, 2, it says, do not conform to the pattern of the wor- this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, a question to see if you are applying that consumerist mentality to these church services is, if someone asks you, when uh, they ask you, how was church, and your answer is, and before I say this, this was me, so I'm not judging, yeah, yeah, it, w- it was all right, it, I mean, I didn't really connect with the worship, um, I didn't really get a lot out of the talk, um, to be honest, I, I don't like the way the church is being run and I don't feel like I'm being fed. You've got the consumerist mentality and you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And until you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, we will not see transformation. So the question, too often we ask, um, too often we ask not what can I do for my church, but what can my church do for me? But the question we should be asking is not what can, what can God's church do for me, but what can I do for God's church? And that is a challenge for us today. Was anyone else sat in their chair thinking, oh goodness, forget better be careful what I talk to my wife about later on. <laughs> I was already thinking this morning, well, we could have done that better. Go, oh no, hang on, we shouldn't be doing that. It's a great challenge for us to all be thinking about, isn't it? Um, great, we're going to hear from Vicky now as well. Just, I realise I hadn't quite explained how we're going to respond to each of these um, two TED Talks. So what we're going to do is we're going to hear both of them. They're both going to have a question for us to respond to. Then after we've heard both of the talks, we're going to get a chance just to stop and to, to reflect and respond as well. So Vicky, why don't you come up? We're going to pray for you. Let's give Vicky a round of applause. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Vicky. We ask that you come now and we ask that you bless her words. We just pray, Lord, that all the words that come out of her mouth would be directly from your heart. And we just pray, Lord, that you would use her to encourage her to encourage us and to challenge us as your body, as your church this morning. Amen. I'm not skinny like her. I'm not as funny as she is. I'm way more immature than she is. My voice is not as powerful as hers. I wish I was that confident. A few weeks ago, I was at the Fusion Conference, um, standing at the side of the stage with a notebook in my hand. And then this girl walks forward. She's a first-year student, never met her before. And she grabs the microphone and starts singing a prophetic song over us. Now, there's 400 people in the room 108 um, churches represented and 21 nationalities represented, all standing in unity because one girl had the bravery and the courage to come forward and bring her battle cry. And that's when I heard it. You couldn't do that. You couldn't go to the front and do what she's doing. You couldn't speak when there's so many other gifted speakers in the room. 
Disunity and discouragement is one of the enemy's oldest tricks. And that night, I almost fell for it. Almost. As I felt myself comparing to the girl who who plucked up the courage um, and even harbored some bitterness towards her, I paused and I shot down the lies of the enemy that I could so easily believe. Now, I might not have been the loudest one in the room and my voice might not have been heard over a microphone, but it helped to build unity. I'm sure you've had many experiences like this, believing the lie that just because somebody is better, you shouldn't do it at all. Comparison is just like that. Comparison is not the thief of joy, but the thief of calling. When we're looking to the left or the right, to the girl who took the microphone, or the guy who seems to have his life together, there are two big consequences. First, we start to scratch away at our calling. And second, we start to scratch away at theirs. Comparison is the reason that I didn't want to take the, take the stage that night. Comparison is the reason I sung quietly because somebody else was louder. Comparison is the reason we want to live off of someone else's timeline instead of committing to what God has put in front of us now. Comparison is not the thief of joy, but the thief of calling. I work for an organization called Fusion. I think there's a picture that I've put forward. So that is the Fusion team that I work with. So... On our team, not everyone is pictured there, but on our team, we've got 28 gifted communicators, um, software developers, app builders, um, preachers, writers, administrators, and teachers. Now, I don't understand how you build an app or how payroll works. I don't understand anything about coding, and I definitely didn't do hours of GDPR training because that's not what I'm called to do. I didn't find myself comparing to the ability of that of the operations manager because her ability doesn't challenge my calling. That's enough of that photo now, thank you. (laughs) But when I'm about to take the stage with a microphone in my hand and a message on my heart, that's when I look to the left or the right. Instead of seeing a group of people who were cheering you on, I turn towards them and say, they do a better job, so there's no point me speaking. But thankfully, it's all a lie. In the verses in Corinthians, Paul tells us that even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just where he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? He's basically saying, stop comparing yourself. The church needs all of you. To set the scene, Paul started a church in a place called Corinth. He moved on to another church, and three years later, he hears through the grapevine that his church that he planted is not doing so good. So the whole book of 1 Corinthians is him trying to get them back on track. Now, there's a number of things where they've slipped up and they've made mistakes, but one of the ones that he focuses on is comparison. Why? Because comparison is detrimental to the church living out its calling. He refers to the church as a body because it makes sense. So if we had a hand, instead of fingers, we had noses. We had five noses. Well, first of all, that would be really weird. (laughs) But second, yeah, your sense of smell would be really good. But how would you hold things? How would you send messages to people? How would you lay on hands when you're praying for people? We don't need more noses and we don't need more fingers. But what we do need are body parts. 
mutually independent from each other, but working together. Comparison is not a new problem, although it might manifest itself differently in the 21st century. But even Paul, all those years back, notices um, how detrimental that is to the church. Why? Because comparison is a thief of calling. Paul's letter to the church starts with a reminder and an encouragement. First of all, he starts by reminding them who they are. He reminds them of their why, why they started sharing Jesus, why they should love their neighbor, why they should pray for the sick. And then he starts to encourage them, bringing out their giftings, telling them what they're good at. He reaffirms their identity as a body. Every time you look to the person next to you and you believe that somehow you are a lesser version, you are turning your back on the person your dad created you to be. An identity deep-rooted in Jesus is distinct, it's immovable, it's different to everything we see in the world. When you understand that your dad in heaven loves you, even with your little quirks and your major flaws, you cannot be compared to anyone else. Realizing the lies that you believed um, can be counteracted by God's truth is like waking up from a bad dream. It's the realization of, oh, thank God that wasn't real. Thank God that's not my reality. The emotions that come with a nightmare often stick throughout the rest of the day, but it still doesn't change the fact that it's not real. So you brush them off, and you get on with the day, and you do what you're called to do. I still struggle with a tendency to compare. I'm not going to say that I'm completely free of it, but I'm not willing to let it quieten my calling. I can't claim to have fully conquered it, but I have found one practice that kicks comparison in the butt every time. Ready? That person on the stage, the guy who has his life together, the girl with more courage than you, celebrate them, even if you feel like they're competition. What would a church like that look like? Outside of a Sunday service, what does it look like to choose unity when you feel like competition? It looks like letting your, letting your roots grow down into him and letting your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth and you will overflow with thankfulness. During my time with Fusion, I've traveled with speakers who are definitely more experienced than I am and honestly do have more theological understanding than I do. Yet when they take the microphone, I want to be the first person to cheer them on, to pray them on, and to tell them that they're going to do a good job. The strengthening of their calling does not, dis not diminish the strengthening of mine. And when I take my eyes off myself, I can cheer on the rest of the body. So that night at the Fusion Conference, I spoke to the girl who sung the song over the microphone. I was really honest with her and I said, I'd love to be able to do what you did, but I'm just not confident enough. And she said one thing that stuck with me. She said, you need to learn to shorten the time between the, the Holy Spirit talks and you say yes. And that way, no lies can get in. The following morning, I stood at the side of the stage. Worship was in full flow. People had their eyes closed, arms up in the air. And that's where I heard God say, go grab your notebook. So I grabbed my notebook, and in it were the words that I wrote on a train journey three months prior. I'd never read these words out to anybody, but I knew they were filled with hope for our generation. Instead of comparing myself to all of the brilliant speakers in the room, I remembered 
you have to minimize the time between the Holy Spirit speaking and you saying yes. So I walked up to the leaders. I gave them my notebook. I was no longer comparing. Nobody, no one saying that I couldn't do it as good as they could. But I was given a microphone and a whisper in my ear that just said, go on, you can do it. I spoke out the words written on my page, not comparing, not held back, but fully committed to what God had called me to in that moment. And I can't say that I'm never going to compare myself again. I can't say the tendency won't come back. But I can say that I'm committed to standing firm in my identity, cheering on my brothers and sisters, committed to building up the church. So my question to you is, how can you choose unity when you feel like competition? Hey, another cracker. So what we're going to do is we're going to take some time to respond. So behind me are um, the response questions, the kind of two questions we've heard from these guys to help us to engage with what they've spoken about. Um, so why don't the, the worship guys, why don't you kind of come up and help us, uh, lead, help lead us into this. I'm going to give you maybe like a minute just to kind of reread the questions and kind of allow the Holy Spirit just to... Um, I guess convict if it needs to convict, bring anything up if it needs to bring anything up. Then in a minute, I'm going to tell you how we're going to respond. So just take a moment now. Maybe you guys can just start to play just to help set the scene. Um, and then we're going to respond in a moment. Okay, so how are we going to respond? If there's anything that you've heard from these guys, if you read those questions that are on the screen behind me and you kind of feel like, oh, you have that kind of sinking feeling, that feeling where it just, they said something and it just hit you in the heart and you knew that was you straight away. Um, I, I just really want to encourage you to respond. You know, and there's lots of different ways that we can do response and we can do it in so many ways. And but I always prefer the way that basically gets us out, up out of our seats. That there's something in, I think is really good about us practically having to stand up and move forward. It's kind of that, that prophetic and that practical step of us kind of saying, yeah, that's me. And God, I'm, I want to deal with this this morning. Of course, we can sit in our seats. God knows our hearts. He sees everything that we're thinking and feeling. He knows it before we even think it. But there is something really poignant, I think, about us being like, yeah, that's totally me, God. This morning, I'm just going to lay it down and come, come, come and use this space that we have here and just to kind of um, confess that to you and to, to lay that down. So 